0: You can make your way over to Romans chapter 12 as we are in Romans chapter 12. The first 11 chapters as we've been sharing with you um, of this book has, has been talking to us and dealing with us and ministering to us about the mercies of God and the grace of God. And as I was thinking about all that, just kind of thinking about where we're going to be at tonight, that that. In order to truly receive the mercies of God and the peace or the grace of God, a person must first understand that he needs mercy and he needs grace. And the only way to really understand that we need or that someone needs mercy and grace is when we've been kind of found guilty (laughs) of something. And, And Paul has made the case that we've been guilty and and justice, because we've been found guilty, justice would be doled out and judgment would come. And so he made the case that, that we deserve justice because none is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we needed his mercy and we needed his grace. And so because of that, as Paul had made the case that all man is guilty before God and the penalty for that guilt is death... Not one of us was worthy enough to pay for our guilt. And so because of that, the only payment that would be sufficient enough, that would be worthy enough, that would be perfect enough, would come in the form of Jesus Christ. He would be the only one that could truly satisfy God in the payment that God required, which was pure blood, innocent blood. And so the righteous requirement would be found in Jesus Christ who knew no sin. And he paid the price. And so now that we have been found guilty, and then made, he made the case that, that the, the perfect payment has come, but the only way to receive that payment was to acknowledge the righteousness of God through faith. Not by works, because there was no way that we could inherit or come to that kind of righteousness. And so it would be a, a, a thing that it would only be by pure faith that we could receive mercy and grace in our lives so that man, us, doesn't have to get what he deserves, which is judgment and death. He gave us mercy. And on top of that, we got what we didn't deserve, and that was forgiveness and eternal life, and that was the grace on top of all that. And it comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, Tonight, as we continue on in in, uh, Romans 12, and we should finish it tonight, the case that Paul is is making in these final chapters is how is a man supposed to live now after he has received or accepted the mercy and grace that has been provided for us? How, How are we supposed to live now The the instructions that Paul is giving here is that we are now to live a life of holiness. Not in ourselves, but in Christ. Knowing that it was his righteousness that was given to us, it was put into our account. Now we have this righteousness of Christ. And so how are we to live in this world? And that is by being holy, being set apart from the world and for God. And we touched on that even this last Sunday morning, the whole being of the world, but not, or you know, being in the world, but not of the world. And, and what we see in what we're going to cover tonight is, is what are we to do within the family of God? How, how are we to conduct ourselves within the family of God? And how are we to conduct ourselves to those outside the family of God? and what 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 Paul is sharing with us in chapter 12 13 14 and part of 15 is all the practical things that we are to do because of what God has already done and because we are in him he requires us now to walk in holiness to do what is practical to do what is right to do what is humble to do what is what what what, what is uh, required of us. And as I was kind of going through this portion of scripture, it, it, it was reminiscent to me of some of the things that we learn in the Sermon on the Mount. They're very practical things in the Sermon on the Mount. But they go against our nature. You know, because in the Sermon on the Mount, he's not talking to the disciples about going out and doing the spectacular things. He's telling them, here, you need to do the humble things, the practical things. The, the the common sense kind of things that will go against your nature. And so, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, let's read the whole chapter. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say that through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us use them if prophecy let us prophesy in the proportion in proportion to our faith in ministry let us use it in our ministering he who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in... Pr- in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who curse you, or to uh, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. And do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord therefore if your enemy is hungry give him or feed him if he is thirsty give him a drink for in doing so you he will keep up coals of fire or you will heap coals of fire on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good As I was reading this well in the last few weeks but in particularly this portion as we start off in verse 9 I was thinking if we just read this portion of Scripture every day before we get up out of bed or before we move on with our day if we just read this and say Lord this is what I want to do today I don't want to do anything else but I want to do everything that you've asked me to do here, I want to do that today. Where would our lives be at the end of the day? If we are doing these things that he is instructing us to do, if we were obedient to those things, because again, we're looking at this and this is very practical stuff that he is giving to us. It's not far-fetched to where you're going like, I could never do that. Honestly, if he has put it in the word... He has given it to us to do. It is practical. I would say it's hard, but it's not complicated. I think just reading it to you, most of you guys were going, oh yeah, I follow along. I know what he's talking about. It's not complicated. I think where we have the problem is we don't want to do it. We don't always want to do what he's telling us to do because if we do that we open ourselves up to other people even within the church and we make ourselves vulnerable to them for them to kind of now come after us because we've opened ourselves up you know you always hear the saying nice guys finish last it's like if you're too nice you can't be too nice and it's almost like here he's telling us this is the way you're to conduct yourself within the family of God and if we're going to be nice anywhere, it should be within these walls, shouldn't it? And yet so often there's people that sit in here day in and day out, or not day in and day out, week in and week out, I should say, that, that, that come on a regular basis and they look at this, this portion of Scripture, just from verse 9 to verse 13 even, just look at that little portion. And they look at that and they, and they never do that. They don't want to do that. They, they know that that's what they're supposed to do, but they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that with their husband. They don't want to do that with their wife. They don't want to do that with their kids, much less anybody else that sits around them. <laughs> and so, but it is a practical application for us. And, and this is what I found, even as I've been studying, and I've known this for years, because the first 11 chapters, he gives us a lot of theology. He gives us a lot of uh, doctrine. Of, of, of what we, we are to believe, what we are to to adhere to as the body of Christ. I, I have learned that it is much easier to teach theology, the study of what God says, than to do theology, to do what God says. It is way easier to intellectually know what it says. It's another thing to actually just do it. And then here's the kicker: don't get tired of doing it, because I've had people who who have issues are going through through life, and it's like, well, here, just do these things, and they say, well, I tried that. I said, like, well, for how long? Well, I tried it for about a month, man. Nothing changed. And it's like that's okay. Just keep on doing it. It's like, no, 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 no. I can't keep on doing it because it's like, no, it doesn't give us a time frame here that we should do these particular things. So let's just get started in in verse 9. Okay, Just in verse 9 where it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy or hypocrite means to wear a mask, a a, a disguise, to be two-faced and not sincere. An, An actor would be a hypocrite because he's playing a part that's not really him. And so, so that's what a hypocrite is. And, and so the words hypocrisy are one word in the Greek and it means unfeigned or undisguised. He says, be undisguised. Be, be undisguised. In, in other words, what Paul is saying is, let love be undisguised. Let it be sincere. Let it be the real thing. Don't just pretend to love others, actually love others. Let, let your love be genuine and not a fake and 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 again here here he's just asking a simple thing right let love be without hypocrisy don't don't fake it you know let let the love of God because he's talking about the agape love here of God the unconditional love he's saying you have received it he has given it to you you didn't receive it with hypocrisy. God's not, hip, hip, he's not a hypocrite. So you received it without hypocrisy. Why don't you give it out without hypocrisy? Truly love the people in your life. Truly love the people that God is asking you to love, whether they're in your family or outside your family, whether they're part of the church. Even love those people who are unlovable. And you're going, I can't, I can't do that. Then do it with the love of God. That's not hip, hypocritical. And so, again, you you may not be able to do it in and of yourself, but you have the Holy Spirit in you who has displayed to you the love of Christ. And you love the love of Christ. You love it when He loves you unconditionally. And yet, He says, I want you to give that back out. And you're just like, whoa, wait a minute, man. But it's a simple little sentence, let love be without hypocrisy. And then He says, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Um, the word abhor is not a word that we use often, but it means to dislike. Dislike what is evil. To to have a horror of it. To detest it utterly. I, I, I know it's a strong word. And, and, and oftentimes when people say, oh, I hate this, it's like, hey, that's a strong word. He is telling us we need to hate evil. And the question goes out, do you hate evil? What, 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 what gets, gets you riled up, you know? Is there, it, do you really hate evil? Now, now we might say, well, you know, because evil, even though it's associated with sin, and we should hate sin, but there is evil in this world. And there are people who are trying to tell us even today that, that it's just a matter of opinion of what is evil. It's like, no, killing people, innocent people is evil. Just for the heck of it, just because you, you think that your religion is telling you to do that, it is evil. It is evil to take innocent life. It is evil to, to steal things. It is evil to just hate people. It is evil to, to to do all these things and it's almost like people are saying well that's your opinion so where can we define evil yeah I, I, th- I think for me when, when we look at evil it's the absence of good <laughs> it's it, it's it's wickedness things that are wicked and, and and I think sometimes we you know and again we think like well wow, man those are like evil things Wicked things. But man, sometimes the way we treat people is wicked. The way we talk to people is evil. Because we're doing it with disdain. And we're doing it to hurt them internally. To where they carry this for a while, you know. And it's like cutting them deep. And it's like, man, you're just wanting to be evil, aren't you? It, it, it's it, It's evil. <laughs> And and it's funny because I was looking at that word and it's like, well, just add a D to it and it makes the word devil, so it can't be good. You know? It is just not good, that whole word. Do we hate evil? And and, and again, so he he gives us that instruction. Hey, abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. The, The word cling means to glue to. To glue together, to cement, to stick, cleave, join, keep company. All these are words that that you can find like in the Strong's Concordance or in the Thayer's Greek lexicon. That 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 is what that word cleave means. And so he's saying, hey, why don't you hate the things that are evil, that are wicked, that, that would cause harm, that would cause destruction... To people, and why don't you just cling to, grab onto, cement yourself to what is good? And as I was looking at this, I'm thinking, man, the instructions that he gives us just in this one verse alone, just in this one verse alone, are are, are not just being thrown out there by him, in, in theory, like saying, "Wow, that, that that's a great idea." That is a great idea, Paul. Thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. No, it, it is to be done on a practical level. He, he, he's bringing this down to our level to say, no, this is what we should be doing on a regular basis. We are to, uh, to, to love without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and, and cling to, to that which is really, really good. <laughs> And so again, we could look at it and say, man, that's that's good theology. But to practice it, I don't know if I can do that. But man, I I would teach it just the way you're teaching it, Zeke. (laughs) It's like, no, we're to do it just the way we're supposed to do it. And so so again, we we Paul has spent most of this letter telling us what God has done on our behalf. He's telling us those kinds of things. Uh, And now he gets to the practical part of this letter and he gives us instruction of how to live. And I would venture to say that the things that, 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 that Paul is writing for us here are things that the Lord showed him, for one, through the Holy Spirit to write down. But I could guarantee you that God allowed him to go through a lot of these things in his life the practical aspect of life, to be able, when he wrote them down, saying, I, I, I'm saying amen at the same time because I've been through these kinds of things. And so, again, there's, there's things that God allows us to go through in our lives to, to grow us in our relationship with God. And so, Paul is not just theorizing here, giving us some great ideas, um, you know, and kind of saying, well, if, if you can do them, by all means, do them if you can uh, and come back to me and tell me if you were able to, if they work for you or not. He, he's not theorizing here. He's saying, guys, this is practical application for our lives as Christians. This is what he's calling us to do. Um, again, it, it goes against our nature sometimes because our we, we, we are battling you know, the flesh, and we want to walk in the Spirit. And yet, when somebody comes against us, we don't want to be kindly affectionate. We, we, we don't want to be, you know, uh, or show brotherly love, or to honor them, or to do any kind of, of things like that. Because again, it's almost like, Ugh! But real life for the Christian um, is being practical. Doing the things that, that may go against your nature because that's what God has called us, because he's given us a new nature. Um, this is real life. This is what we're supposed to be doing on a regular basis. And, and as I looked at this and reading ahead, uh, behind to verse 1, uh, these are part of those, those reasonable services that we are to be doing because of all the mercy and grace that he has given to us, that he has poured out into our lives. Uh, we are to do these things not just read about them, not just theorize about them, not just contemplate them uh, and and bring conjecture to them and think like, yeah, that's awesome. It's like, no, don't let it be intellectual, guys. Let it be practical. This is practical living for us. If we were just to do this first verse that we have covered, and we could stop right here if we wanted to, but I, I, I want to finish. Now I'm looking at the time, but be that as it may. But if we just did this one verse, what would the rest of our lives look like? I think we would be right on track in our life on a regular basis if we love without hypocrisy, abhorred what is evil and did what is good. To love sincerely, sincerely, to hate evil and to honor good is a perfect recipe, a perfect formula for doing the perfect will of God as we look in chapter, or verse 2. You, you, you cannot go wrong in the eyes of God with this formula. Now, now Paul is not going to add to this formula or to this recipe of, of loving sincerely or hating evil or, or, or honoring good, it, he's showing us what, in these next few verses, what it produces when we're doing what verse 9 tells us. What, what, what it produces is words like kindness, brotherly love. It produces what, what honor, diligence, fervency, serving, rejoicing, patience steadfastness, distribution, hospitality. Those are all words that we see in verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. If we are loving without hypocrisy, if we are hating evil, if we, if we are clinging to what is good, the byproduct of all those things, that recipe, it will produce something that is amazing and you're going, give me a chunk of that. It tastes so good. It looks so good. Let me do it. Let, let, let me let me see what it tastes like so I can give it out to other people. To be kindly affectionate and brotherly and brotherly love, these two words here in verse ten, they, they have the, the, the root word in the Greek that's associated with with love, which is the phileo love. We always talk about the agape love. This one right here is talking about that phileo love, that fraternal affection that we are to have to one another, to brothers and sisters. It's that kind of affection that that, that you have a fondness, almost like you have for a a relative, a family member. That is the way we are to love one another, to be kindly affectionate to one another. And yet oftentimes it's our very family that we're not affectionate to, that we're not showing this kind of love. And he's saying, no, this is what you're supposed to be doing. If you're loving uh, without hypocrisy, if you're hating what's evil and doing what's good, then you're going to kindly be a kindly affectionate to one another you're going to show it in that way it's going to be demonstrated to other people around you to giving them a uh, preference honoring them in preference uh, giving preference to one another and that word preference is, is to be highly esteeming other people to a higher degree than yourself and it's interesting because we looked at that verse last week where it said, don't think too highly of yourself. Or don't think, you, you ought not be thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. We're to be thinking of other people and looking for their well-being. And, and it's interesting because I, as I was looking at this word, in essence you would think, well, let me open the door and you go first. You know, let me be polite to you in that way. And that's good. But it also had the, the, the more like, let me show you the way. I will lead you in the form of protection, almost. And I got this picture of like a a parent would grab the, the child's hand and step out into the street before the kid. You know, let me lead you. Let me honor, let me esteem you. I'm going to protect you that much. And so he's saying, that's what we should be doing with one another. Let us protect one another. Let us give preference to the other, saying, I will take the bullet or I will take the shot first to protect you because I honor you and I esteem you better than my own life. And so I will put myself out there if I have to. If anybody's going to get hurt, I want to get hurt for you. That's what he's saying. Why don't we do that? And then he says lagging, not lagging in diligence. And the word lagging is slothfulness. Being slothful, being tardy, being lazy. And, and, and we're not to be lazy in our diligence. Not in our eagerness for the Lord. He, he doesn't want us to be lazy in that he, he he says, you know, don't don't not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. And that word that he's talking about here, fervent means being hot, boiling over. In other words, being on fire, aglow, burning in spirit. And, and I would say that being even lukewarm is not good enough. Most of us know that scripture that. That, you know, that he says, I mean, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but don't be lukewarm, because I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth, he says. That means a vomit, you know. He says, I don't, I don't, if you were cold, I, I'll accept that. But don't tell me you're lukewarm. You've you got to be either hot or cold, but do not be lukewarm. But he's telling us here, I want you to be fervent. I want you to be fervent in spirit. I don't know about you, but when I picture someone who's on fire, they're pretty active. Mm -hmm. I don't don't see them just sitting around when they are actively on fire. There's something like burning, and they're trying to get it out in that sense. And so when when I was looking at this, I'm going, man, Lord... You you don't want us to just be sitting around doing nothing. You want us to be active. You want us to be fervent. And and, and then he says, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. That word serving the Lord, or the word serving, is, is is a word that all Christians should be familiar with, and that's the word doulos in the Greek. And it means a slave. Uh, uh, Oftentimes we we refer to it as a bond servant, but it's a slave, one who obeys and submits to his master. And quite honestly, serving the Lord is manifested in the way we serve other people, wherever we're at, whether we're here or outside on our jobs, uh, wherever we're at, we are serving the Lord. We're not serving man in that sense. We're serving the Lord. And in serving the Lord, we serve man. It always manifests itself that way. Because we, we can say all day long, man, I serve the Lord. It's like, really? Show me. Show me how you serve the Lord. And so he, he's encouraging us to, to do these kinds of things. And, and the, the example that came to mind is, is in John chapter 13 when Jesus be decides to wash the disciples' feet. And he served them in this manner. And he says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He says, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, he says, blessed are you if you do them. And and, and he gave us an example of what it means to serve. As As I'm looking at this, and, and I'm not going to finish tonight, so um, I'm just going to slow down here. I, th- I thought of this, the story of Elijah. Elijah, he, he was a prophet of the Lord. And if you know his, his life, if you know his story, he, he did some incredible, incredible things in the name of God. And, and he was just powerful. Powerful. And and when it came time for him to... That he was going to be departing on a chariot of fire. That's how bad he is. <laughs> it's like, what? You get a chariot of fire? It's like, because he was just epic. And God says, you know what? I'm just going to snatch you away, man. We're going to show everybody how awesome this is. And it's interesting because here's the man... Who who was not lagging in diligence, he was fervent in spirit, and he served the Lord. And yet when it came time for him to leave, he had this, this apprentice, <laughs> Elisha, who was coming alongside of him, and when the time came that he was to leave, Elijah turned to him as they crossed the river, and Elijah said to him, Ask what may I do for you? before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, please let a double portion of of your spirit be upon me. Now, again, if you know Elijah, you're going, dude, you're asking for a lot. Most people would have just told Elijah, if I could be half the man that you are, I would be satisfied. I would be satisfied. That would have been enough to say, just give me this much and man, I will be just amazing. But Elisha says, I want double what you've had in your life. Can you believe that? That he would be so arrogant to ask for double? (laughs) and Thinking, you really want a double? And guess what? He got a double. He got a double double. Okay, maybe just a double. But he actually got a double portion of what Elijah had. So we see the life of Elisha. And we're looking at, at this verse saying, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This guy says, I want it and I want it all. I don't, I don't want to be mediocre. He didn't want to just like, I just kind of want to get by. I don't even know why I'm following you, Elisha. You're way, you're way more than I could ever be. Saying, I want more of that, and I and I truly believe that that God has just been kind of stirring within us here as a church of saying, I want more because that's that, that's where I'm at. I want more. What what else do you want from us, God? I do not want to be just mediocre. You know when he, when he says, you know, rejoicing in hope. At least I should get these verses down, rejoicing in hope. You know, because we have a hope that one day He is coming back for the church. We are waiting for that hope. But beyond that, there is a hope, a living hope that's waiting for us in heaven that does not perish. And because of that, what should we be doing here? What type of people ought we to be because we've had all this mercy and all this grace? We have this hope. We have all these things. He said, I want you to be rejoicing in hope all the time. No matter what's going on. Because rejoicing is different than just being happy. I want you to rejoice in that hope. And then he says, patient in tribulation. And that word tribulation means a hard pressing, uh, like, trial that's on you. That you would be able to bear it up. He says, be patient in that because in this world you will have tribulation. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. And he's saying, I want you to be patient. Because when tribulation comes, you're not going to turn away from Jesus. You're not leaving. I, I was telling a brother earlier, I said, me and you are at a point, we're, we're not going to turn back. There's no turning back for us. We're, we're, we're on the latter part of our, our, of our life. And it's like we know too much to, go, to want to go back there. And so whatever tribulation comes our way, nothing is going to drive us away. And there's so many things that, that, that could drive us away because it's gotten too tough. And I want to be where Paul says, it's like there's nothing. There's nothing that will make me turn back. I don't want to go back there. There's nothing for me. So, so I want to be patient in tribulation, whatever, whatever it takes. It says continuing steadfastly in prayer. Always, always praying. Always be praying. Uh, he, he tells the, the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Continue to pray, have that communication w- with God open, but at the same time, man, spend that time with God. Spend that time steadfastly with Him so that you're not only talking to him, but you're also listening to Him. Because guys, it's in those moments that we're steadfast in prayer that Mary it's like, Lord, I, I just want to hear from you that he will speak. And oftentimes it's when you have your Bible open and you're on your face and you're seeking His face. And He's faithful to do that. He says distributing to the needs of the saints. Distributing. You know, back then, you know, they they didn't have all the hotels. They had some inns, but there was never any room. But there was... Um, I'm kidding. The... the, the It wasn't safe to just stay anywhere. So if you were a brother or sister that were traveling, you looked for other brothers and sisters... To go and stay with them. And so you would open yourself up. Given to hospitality. But you took care of their needs. And Paul gives us an example. Of how the, the, the church in uh, it was a Thessalonica. Um, that, that was going to send money. To the church in Jerusalem. And because they were going to take care. Of these kinds of needs. And so he's saying. These are practical things. That we should be doing. As a church within the church. That we should be kind. We should be loving, brotherly, with brotherly love, honoring one another. We should be diligent and fervent and we should be serving and we should be rejoicing and we should be patient and steadfast and we should be distributing and we need to be hospitable. Are those things doable? Absolutely. Are you going to want to do them all the time? Maybe not. But you're being asked to do these things. These are the common things or the the practical things, the humble things even that God is asking us to do to be faithful because Paul has been begging us by the mercies of God that we should do these kinds of things. That we should not be lagging in these kinds of things. That we should be fervent in these kinds of things. I really meant to finish uh, this chapter. It's kind of interesting because if you look at what my notes say over here, it's like, I know there were still, certain, but it's like I just, I thought, oh Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this tonight, and it's like, well, it's time ran out, so I guess I get to do the rest of it next week. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited now, uh, because I'm like, oh Lord, I don't want to like, half-heartedly share this stuff. So I want to encourage you guys, uh, read the rest of this chapter, and and just see how he's giving us the practical applications for how to conduct ourselves outside the church as well. Not just inside the church, but outside the church. You know, just really quick, uh, the worship team can come on, come on up. You know, I kind of threw things out to you guys of what we need to be praying for. And and even though there's a little glitch, even with the J-high, I, I, I think that we as a church are going to bless these kids. I, I just... I don't know. I just think, Lord, you're going to come through with these kids. And, and I just, I, because he's called us to do these kinds of things when something like this happens. And so, again, man, just be praying. Pray for Ron. Pray for Jacob. Pray for their wives as we have to put all these th- things together because uh, they're the ones that, that are going to have to, like, scramble and take, take, think- take care of things. And so just, you know, let them know, hey, we're praying for you guys. Um, or just be praying for them. Amen? amen. Let's stand and we'll over the prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time to be able to look at your word once again and just be blessed by it, Lord. Lord, you have called us to do what is practical, Lord. Lord, we understand that you teach us, Lord God, theology. You teach us the things that you say. You, you, you teach us doctrine, Lord, the things that we believe. Lord, you also teach us to do theology. You teach us how to do doctrine. Not just theorize about it, but actually do it, Lord. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters that, Lord, as they go back over these portions of Scripture, that they will look to you, Lord God, to see where they're lagging in these areas. And Lord, we can't muster these things up, Lord, in and of ourselves. You've given us your Spirit, and you've given us your Word. And I pray, God, that you would help my brothers and sisters to be obedient to what these words say. And we bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That, God, as you call us to serve here, as you call us to serve in our families, to serve, Lord God, um, in our jobs, recreation, all those things, Lord, help us to be a light and that we could uh, love without hypocrisy, that we would abhor evil and tend to work. Be your name for you are good in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.
1: There'll be prayer teams down here if you guys need prayer for anything. You your word that we can improve ourselves that we can be uh, just more hospitable lord god that we can have the love for those around us father as, as jesus loves those around lord that we have that perfect example to look to in our lives we're grateful for that lord we thank you again this evening for your word and most importantly for just how much you love us lord please go before us we ask this evening in jesus name amen god bless you guys